So, so I like to say almost every week, because we always have visitors, so if you are new, uh, we go verse by verse through books of the Bible. We believe the Bible is God's Word. This is how God speaks to us. We are going through the book of Romans, and we're going through the book of John, and they have just gone together uh, so much. Um, we're, we're in John 6. John 6 is one of the largest chapters in the New Testament, one of the longest. Um, 71 verses, and it and it's dealt with this same subject. And for God to spend a lot of time on this, it must be important. It must be important. Um, so God's going to speak to you today. And, I mean, I could hear a pin drop in the first service besides the cell phones that went off. So let that be a warning. <laughs> but we're going to talk about is it my way or is it God's way? You see, in this chapter of John, we've seen Jesus perform miracles, specifically the miracle of feeding the 5,000, which was probably close to 20,000 people. The crowds want to see Jesus. They're, they want to see the show. But they have problems with his words. They're very... There are fickle followers in the crowd. Fickle, they're up and down. One minute they love Jesus, the next minute they don't love Jesus. Kind of like Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. All the people are saying, Hosanna. But by Friday, they're saying what? Crucify him. So one minute you, you could be you love God, but the next minute your true colors show in your heart. So there's also fake followers in this crowd, specifically Judas. There's God's stamp of approval. Don't, don't be a fake follower. There are fake followers who keep following, but they still don't love Jesus. But Jesus knows what's in their hearts. So we left off at verse 60. It says, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Do these words bother you? Um, my good buddy Luke gave me a shirt. I got it on today for you. It's sermon props. Don't make me use my pastor voice. <laughs> it's kind of a funny shirt, but you know what? Sometimes the pastor's voice can get on your nerves. Especially when the pastor points out something in your life, from the, from the Word of God, of course, it can make you very uncomfortable. I'll never forget, we were having church at Sable Street at the time, and I... A guy came out of church, he was a visitor, and I was out there shaking hands, and this guy was visibly shaken, like the sermon got to him, I could see it on his face. 
And he came up to me and he said, he goes, how do you know me? And I said, buddy, I don't know you. He's like, who told you about my life? I said, nobody. I said, I have no idea who you are. And then he stormed off. I don't know. Maybe he came back. I don't know. I don't, I don't remember. I can't keep track of everybody these days. But something in that sermon bothered him. He felt like I knew him because the scriptures must have been talking to his life. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit will zero in on you today and speak to you. And that's good because we should all want to examine our hearts. We don't want to be like the crowd. We don't want to be fickle. We don't want to be fake. We want to be the real and true followers of Jesus Christ. Um, years ago, I went to a funeral. I was already in the ministry. It was a long time ago because I had brown hair back then and I had a six-pack with all this ice covering it up. And, and uh, after the funeral, the guy was they had an open casket, man laying in the casket. And at the very end of the service, they played the song, Frank Sinatra was singing it, My Way, My Way. And I will tell you, it turned my stomach, turned my stomach. And I know some of you might say, well, it's just a song, Frank. And, and if I know someone in here, they probably played it at your loved one's funeral. Uh, it's just a song. I know maybe that's just the favorite song you remember them by. But when you read the words of that song, and as a pastor, I analyze everything. So I'm thinking in my mind, if you did it your way instead of God's way, you're in big trouble. You're in big trouble. I googled uh, Frank Sinatra's song, and it is all about human self. I know Elvis sung it too. Um, it's, it's all about self-determination. The very last stanza of the song says, a, a, a man should say what he truly feels, not like someone who kneels. That's us. <laughs> we kneel before Jesus Christ. It's all about my way instead of God's way. And truth is hard for some people. We've been talking about it. People, truth will set you free, but people don't like hearing truth, especially in our world today. And so they're hard to it. So therefore, they never get set free. So I want you today, have hearts. Be willing to listen to the truth. Love the truth. Follow the truth. But for some people, I get it's just... They just can't, they're, they're too good for it, okay? Like, who are you? They'll be like, who are you to say I'm a sinner? You know, we just sang that song, Amazing Grace, that saved a wretch like me. Can you really say that and mean it? Because some people don't think they're a wretch. They, they, get to the, they get to the word wretch, and some of you old timers remember the show Happy Days, like the, the fawns. He couldn't say he was wrong. He would go, I am. He couldn't get it out. 
Some of you, when you get to amazing grace, that, that word, you can't say you're a wretch. Not wonderful you. And, in, and until you say that you're a wretch and know that you're a wretch, you, you can't receive the grace of God and the grace of Jesus Christ. So people just don't want to hear the truth. And, you know, I, <laughs> I got a buddy who goes to this church. His brother knew me in high school. And he tries to invite him to church. And so his brother always says he's not a believer. And he's like, do you know how bad Frank Vargo was? Do you know all the stuff that he did? And you're going to his church? And he's like, he's like, you're telling me that guy is going to go to heaven? But a good guy like me is not going to go to heaven? And he, he's just... He thinks he's too smart for it. He thinks he's too good for it. And I, I talk to people all the time. They get hostile toward it. You know, would you like to, you know, the Bible says that you're a sinner and you're going to be go to hell. You're going to be lost forever. Would you like to receive the grace of Jesus Christ and admit you're a sinner? And they're like, I was the grand poobah of the water buffaloes. You're telling me I'm a sinner? And they just go on and on, and they just can't embrace the grace. There's a story in 2 Kings chapter 5 about a man named Naaman. He's a, he was a commander in the army of a place called Aram. They were, they were actually enemies of God's people. And this commander in this army, this famous commander... Um, had leprosy, leprosy, okay? And back in ancient times, leprosy was not curable, brutal disease. Leprosy is a picture of what sin will do. And so in the grace of God, even though he's an enemy of God's people, he actually took a, took a, little, a young girl from Israel and made her a slave. And by the grace of God, this slave girl said to him, listen, if you go to Israel and you talk to the prophet there, he can cure your leprosy. Well, it made him think. So he thought, maybe I should go talk to this guy. Maybe he can do it. What's worth a try. And so Naaman wrote a letter to the king of Israel and telling him all this money that he's bringing, all this stuff he's going to bring and give to the king, and give to the prophet, if he can talk to him about healing his leprosy. And then he travels all the way to Israel. He's, 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 he's a big time guy now. He comes, he's got his limo. He he's, comes in a limo. He's got his motorcade. He's got all his money. And he comes to where Elisha is staying, and Elisha won't even, doesn't even come out of the house. It's like, He's not impressed. And he just says, go out, there, go out there and tell Naaman, if he goes and washes himself in the Jordan River seven times, he'll be cured. Well, when the servant told Naaman this, he was furious. He was angry. How dare this guy tell me to go, a, a, a big wig like me, to go and wash in that muddy river? He said, We've got better rivers where we live. They're clearer. They're, they're nicer. 
You want me to go wash in a muddy river? No way. And he left. And his servants finally tried to talk some sense into him. They're saying, Naaman, Naaman, if, if this prophet would have told you to do something hard, you would have done it. If he would have told you, uh, yeah, he wants this amount of money, you would have given it. If he would have told you, hey, he wants, he wants this service, he wants you to do this service, you would have done the service. You would have done whatever he said. But he tells you to wash in, in the River Jordan and you won't do it. And that humbled him. That humbled him. And so he went and he washed in the Jordan River seven times. And his skin was like he was using oil of Olay, man. He was, it, was, it was brand new skin. He was instantly healed by the power of God. All because why? He believed the word. He believed the word. But some people, that's too easy. Or, or it's not, they, want, they think there's something more they got to do. And they don't realize there's nothing you can do. It's grace. So you have to receive the amazing grace. Naaman became a true follower of the God of Israel because of God's grace in his life. Notice what Jesus says in verse 62. He, he's asking them, are, are you guys upset at this? Are you offended? Are you angry at my words? And if you remember, Jesus, he's, he's talking about he's the bread from heaven. He's the only one that can satisfy our spiritual soul. He's the way. He's the truth. He starts talking about his death. They didn't like it when Jesus talked about the cross. They didn't like it when he talked about the cross, and they didn't like it when he talked about commitment. When he said, unless you eat of my flesh and drink my blood. In other words, you've got to totally consume me spiritually. You got to follow me with all of your heart. And they were offended by it. Verse 62. Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? And I, I kind of love that verse. These guys didn't even know what he was talking about. But I just love that statement. And what he's talking about there is. You don't believe my words, but are you going to believe when they lift me up on a cross and put me to death, and then I rise again from the dead, and talking beyond and talking to the true disciples, you're going to see me ascend into heaven. And when you see all that, then will you believe? Then will you like my words? And the good news is, the disciples, who fought, the true followers of Christ, followed him to the end, and they did witness all that. And that's why I would say to you in here, if you're a doubter, if you're a skeptic, uh, if you're not sure about things, keep coming, keep following. Because the true followers, they kept following Jesus, and then it became so real, and, they, and they, their, the belief came, the belief came. But God, of course, had to do a work on their heart. And I'm just telling you, folks, there's coming a day. There's coming a day when people are going to see what's on the other side, and they're going to see the glory of God, and they're going to wish they listened. They are going to wish they listened. But these many in this crowd just didn't want to hear it. 
Let's read on. Verse 63. He says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Once again, Jesus is saying, you can't come to God in your humanness. It's not what you do as a human being that gets you to God. The flesh is no help at all. It's got to be a spiritual work that God does on your heart. Verse 64. But there are some of you who do not believe. And because they were hard-hearted and didn't believe, God could not do a work on their heart. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by my Father. Fancy way of saying it again. That salvation is a work of God. Not what you do in your humanness. And I know last week we talked about it. It, it, it's It's hard to grasp. It's a mystery. Because we do choose. You did get up and come to church. And And yes, that's good, but hopefully that's because God's already done a work on your heart. And you're here to grow in your heart, to love God from your heart. And so the flesh can do nothing. Have you ever noticed when somebody dies? Have you ever, you read the obituary? And by the way, when they write your obituary, it's too late. (laughs) No matter what they say about you in that obituary, too late, okay? And of course, they're going to try to find anything good they can say. You know, and some people just make it up and they just lie. But, but an obituary, it's almost like people think it's, it's a resume for the afterlife. And just in case, we want to let you know what this guy did. And the obituary, and, and they tell you, Well, he did this, and he worked here, and he had this education. He won these awards, and it just goes on and on about all the human good that they have done. And when you stand before God, it means nothing, absolutely zero, unless all that matters is, what did you do with Jesus Christ? Did you believe in his death for you? Did you believe in his resurrection? Do you believe his words? Do you love God's words even when uh, it hurts a little bit? Even when the sermon does make you a little uncomfortable? And so the flesh is no good at all. Verse 66, one of the saddest verses in all the Bible, says, and after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So, stop there for a second. Disciples, that, that kind of makes us say, wait a minute, I thought disciples never lose their salvation. Uh, the word disciple just means follower. They were following, but they were fickle followers. So, they never had salvation. First John says, they went out from us because they did not really belong to us. Because if they belonged to us, they would have remained. It's just saying that sometimes people look like a disciple, 
But in the end, they go astray. They go, they, they're gone. This is happening all over our world today. People who claim to be Christians, Christian musicians, Christian pastors, pastors' children. Now they're coming out and say, we don't believe. And they didn't lose their salvation. They never had salvation. It's just showing what was always in their heart. They never loved God. They never surrendered to Jesus. So this is scary stuff. Verse 67, so Jesus said to the 12. Now he's going to talk to the true believers. Well, really 11 of them, because he's going to tell us Judas is not for real. Verse 67, so Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? You guys going to leave me too? I love what Peter says. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Lord, where are we going to go? We got no other place to go. You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. I love that. The crowd doesn't want to hear your words. But we know your words have eternal life. We've seen with our, our eyes have been opened. Our ears have been opened. You are the Savior. You are the Messiah. And there's no other place we can go have you come to that conclusion in your life there's no other place to go but jesus and he's he's your only savior he's your only hope he's the only way and that's that's the only way that we get to god uh not long after this occasion jesus feeds the four thousand and we kind of told you how you know Jesus feeds 20,000 people out of the air. Now he's got a smaller crowd and they run out of food and the disciples are like, where are we going to get food? They're boneheads. <laughs> but, but they were God's boneheads. You know, some of you, you walk in there, you go, man, I'm a mess. You're God's mess. You're God's mess. Okay? And so, so after he feeds the 4,000, Jesus asks him, who do you say that I am? Let's read Matthew 16. It says, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. They were, they were starting rumors that John the Baptist had been raised from the dead, and that's Jesus. And, or maybe one of these prophets, like Elijah never died, so they were all waiting for Elijah. Maybe he's coming back. Verse 15, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter gets it right again. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. I love it. He finally gets it. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. But my Father who is in heaven, the reason why you're saying this, Peter, is God's done a work on your heart, a supernatural work. You're saying this through the power of the Spirit. Verse 18, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And there are people who say, oh, so Jesus is going to build his church on Peter. And Peter was the first pope. And that's why Jesus was saying here, 
No, Peter was not the first pope. And Peter would never wear that silly religious hat. He's building his church on the statement he made. What was the statement? That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And when you believe that, hell can't get you. Hell cannot come against you anymore. That's what Jesus is saying. And I build my church on that statement. So that's just awesome that the the true believers finally get it. But yet, it's pretty amazing, isn't it? We started out with 20,000 people, and we're basically, Jesus started out with 12. The crowd grew to 20,000, and now he's down to 11, because <laughs> Judas isn't for real. That's not too much of a success story, is it? And this is why we need to be careful when we see crowds of people, and some mega churches are very good. They're preaching the gospel. But many of these mega churches preach a watered down gospel. And it just makes everybody feel good. We want to entertain everybody. Smoke machines and, and all this other garbage that, that appeal to people's flesh to come to church. Instead of teaching the word of God. And that's why there's so many fake Christians in our world. So we got to be careful. Don't get caught up and don't see the crowd and go, wow, something good must be going on there as a crowd because the crowd follows the crowd. But true followers of Christ don't follow the crowd. They follow Christ. They follow Jesus Christ. Verse 70, verse 70, Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the twelve, Yet one of you is a devil. And he spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Fancy way of saying, you can fool people, but you can't fool God. I can get up here and I can fool you, but I can't fool God. God knows what's in my heart. He knows whether it's real He knows whether you're for real. And if you think about Judas, Judas, you would think they would all be smart enough to know he was a bad guy. But we know the entire three years, he had the disciples fooled. They made him the treasurer. He was in charge of the money. And we see that story in John 12 where Mary pours this expensive jar of uh, ointment on Jesus. And Judas, Mr. Spiritual Judas says, we should have given that money to the poor. Boy, he sounds so spiritual because all the other disciples believed. Yeah, 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 Judas, you're right. We shouldn't be giving that to the poor. Why are we dumping it out all on Jesus? And the Holy Spirit tells us in this story, Judas said that, Not because he cared about the poor. He was stealing from the money bag. And the night before Jesus died for our sins, he tells them, one of you guys are going to betray me. And you would think they would all go, oh, that's that's Judas. They don't. They're like, Lord, Lord, is it me? Lord, is it me? One by one, they're looking at each other. Who could it be? And it was revealed 
that it was Judas. He had everybody fooled except for Jesus. See, God knows your heart. God looks at the heart. When the prophet Samuel goes to the house of Jesse, he's going there. God's going to show him who the new king of Israel is going to be. And when Samuel comes, he sees David's brothers, and they're all tall, and they're all handsome, and they're soldiers. And, and as he went to each brother, the prophet Samuel said, it's got to be him. Look at him. Look at how strong he is. Look at how smart he is. Look at how handsome he is. And God says, nope, I reject him. Nope, I reject him all the way down. And finally, he chose David, the, little, the littlest brother, out there in the field, taking care of sheep, writing poetry, playing a harp. And God said, man looks at the outward appearance, Samuel. God looks at the heart. And God chose David because he had a heart for him. And I know David was out there writing poetry, but you didn't want to mess with him. Goliath messed with him and got his head chopped off, all right? But he was writing poetry for God. He was worshiping God because he had a heart for God. And that's who God chose. And I'm telling you right now, whatever you portray to be on the outside, it doesn't matter to God. God cares about what is in your heart. People can fool us, but they can't fool God. Let's, let's close with these verses. Let me scare you with some verses. Can I scare you a little bit? Let me use my pastor voice. Um, these are really some of the most scary verses in all the Bible, I think. They've, they've always made me think. Always made me want to examine my heart and my life. But Jesus says this in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 7, verse 21. He says... Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. That's scary. Not everybody that, that calls Jesus their Lord and Savior is going to be in heaven. They say it with their mouth, but it's not in their heart. It's not in their heart to do the will of God. It's not in their heart to obey God and obey his words. Peter says, your words have eternal life. And you got all these people out there saying, well, we love Jesus, but we don't like the Bible. Uh, doesn't work. It's kind of like the death and resurrection. They go together. <laughs> Jesus wrote the Bible. The entire Bible is about him. The Old Testament points to him, and the New Testament tells us that he's here and what he's done and the work he's done. But if it, the Bible doesn't fit their, their way of life, their way, their politics, well, we, we'll follow Jesus, but not that Bible. doesn't work that way. Watch this, verse 22. On that day, what day? Judgment day. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? That's preaching. And cast out demons in your name? There are people out there who think they can cast out demons. They can't, but they think they can. And do many mighty works 
in your name? Watch this. Here's the scary part. Then I, Jesus, I will declare to them, because that's who you stand before on Judgment Day. I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Wow. So there are going to be preachers that are not in heaven. There are going to be people that think they can cast out demons, religious people, and they're not in heaven. People who think they've done mighty works in God's name and they're not going to be in heaven. What is the deal? And, and to know, he says, I never knew you. That word know in the Bible means intimacy, relationship. And what he's saying is, you did all this religious stuff on the outside, but you didn't know me. You didn't love me in your heart. You, you didn't. It's relationship, everybody. It's relationship. Do you know Jesus? And does Jesus know you? Yeah, he does. He does. But this is what, what we've been learning in John's gospel. Be real. Jesus says, consume all of me. Surrender all to me. Build a relationship with him. And you will be there. Now, I will tell you, it's always the true believers that this scares. <laughs> We're always thinking about our salvation. Man, I hope I'm saved. The people that don't believe, they don't care. They just go out and forget about it. But it is scary to me that Jesus is saying multitudes of people one day are going to be turned away by Jesus who thought, who thought they were Christians. That proverb, there's a proverb that says, scary too, it says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end leads to death, leads to death. So God does not want his true children to doubt their salvation. God, first John wrote, writes in 1 John, God wants you to know you have eternal life. God wants to give you that assurance. The point of the message is just check your heart. Make sure your heart is for real. You know, it's talking about preachers that aren't going to be, man, I just want to make sure my preaching comes from the heart comes from the Word of God, that it's not phony, it's not fake. And I think we should all want our Christianity not to be phony and not to be fake. And so I think there's a constant examination of our hearts, constantly cultivating humility and coming and worshiping God and praising Him that He has saved a wretch like me and a wretch like you. And... If you know Jesus today, be thankful and continue to grow in that. Ding, my time's up. Let's pray. <laughs> Let's pray. Thanks for that ding at the end. And I, I love people letting their cell phone goes off. Nathaniel said, I'm the old guy that's not gracious. Oh, I just, I'm so happy. <laughs> um. Pray with me, I'll pray. In the quietness of this moment, you pray, okay? God wants you to pray. He wants to hear your heart. And 
I think our prayers just need to be real. That's all. Let it be sincere. Let it be humble. You don't need to say any big, fancy, religious words to God. I mean, pretty much all you need to do today is say, God, I am a wretch. I am sinful. I'm never going to be good enough, smart enough, or religious enough. But I need your amazing grace. The best I know how, I trust in that cross. You died for my sin, and you rose again from the grave. And Jesus, I love you so much. Lord, I want you to change me. Now that I have salvation, you've given me salvation, I want you to sanctify me. The way I talk, the way I think, the way I live. And God does that work on the true followers of Christ. So you pray to him and you ask him. Ask him for his help. You say, Lord, I want to know you personally. I want it to be intimate. I want to feel your presence with me. Help me to obey you and love you and to continue in your precious word, the words that give eternal life. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for uh, these challenging scriptures that make us check our heart. Um, God, I thank you for our church. I thank you that it is filled with people that love your word. Uh, I thank you that they, they want to obey your word. They want to be challenged by your word. And even after a sermon like this, they'll be back because they truly love you. Help that person that's still doubting, still struggling. God, only you can work on their mind and heart and bring them in. So we pray for them. We pray our church would help struggling people. Um, we would be patient with them and we'd pray for them and continue to help them and bring them to you. So Father, now as we sing this closing song, I pray, God, we wouldn't just sing it with our mouth, but we would sing it with our heart. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Let's sing this uh, closing song.